the New York Artist Collective podcast. This next one's about. It's silly how uh, much joy that gives me. Um, Hello and welcome to the New York Artist Collective podcast this next one's about. Now this is a podcast where we interview an artist to discuss the creative songwriting process behind one of their songs. I am your host, Stephanie Manns, singer-songwriter and one of the New York Artist Collective producers. Now, as you'll be aware, during quarantine and lockdown, we have been taking our podcasts live to our Facebook page. And if you're watching it now, then yes, you will know all about this. Um, so, but we've been doing this to find uh, how, out how our artists are doing um, with this whole situation and trying to find some ways to help, giving tips about doing live stream gigs and generally broadening, broadening the format and, and taking in some new ideas and um, finding out lots of ways to do new and different things. Um, but anyway, now before I introduce our guest this evening, um, I wanted to take a moment to acknowledge everything that is going on in the world right now. Um, it is a lot. And I want to say that uh, here at the New York Artists Collective, we stand with our POC friends. We are absolutely against racism, uh, white fragility and white centering. And as such, I don't believe it is our place to comment on such event. Uh, so in two weeks' time, instead, we will be hosting a podcast show featuring our POC friends within our New York Artists Collective community, as we feel that elevating their voices and giving them space uh, at this time is the right thing to do. Um, and I will be posting more information on that in a week or so's time. Um, now, this evening, hopefully we can bring a good news story or two uh, from the work that my good friend, singer-songwriter Matt Butler, has been doing with his non-profit the Just One Foundation. So let me bring him in. This is uh, uh, Mr. Matt Butler. Hey, everybody. How you doing, Steph? Good to see you. I'm good, Matt. How are you? I'm I'm good. I'm I uh, I'm impressed with the technology with the, the streamyard here and how you could bring me Thank in from so backstage much. like that. Yeah, well done. I'm rather impressed with myself, <laughs> if I'm perfectly honest with you. Well played. How, <laughs> um, so how are you? I can see that uh, you have foregone a couple of haircuts or two. <laughs> Uh, during quarantine, yeah. <laughs> uh, and famously, I called you Teen Wolf the other day on on Instagram, which I felt I could get away with, which was rather fun. You got away with it cleanly, smoothly. It was, it was a, I think it was a, was the Teen Wolf emoji that you found that I was most yes, by, to be honest. Yes, I know. And thank you for uh, reposting that. That was very um, gracious of you, shall we say? So how has lockdown been for you? What's what's been happening in the world of Matt Butler? I know that you're still busy, you know, going to school. Um, you're still busy with your foundation. What what's been what's been happening for you? Yeah, um, a lot. I mean, I I think, you know, like like you said at the very beginning of this, what I heard, you know, I want to just acknowledge quickly that obviously there is quite a lot that's going on in the world right now, and uh, you know, it's some pretty important and serious stuff. And, and, uh, I think it's, it's great that you're going to be doing an episode specifically, you know, set up to address that, especially, you know, in some time and, you know, we can kind of get some other perspective on it and so forth. But, uh, but I'll say that, you know, the, the entire quarantine has obviously been a pretty like unprecedented and wild experience. Um, you know, and, and, it's weird. It's been going on for a long time, <laughs> as everybody mm-hmm. knows, and time has blurred for me to a certain degree. And, yep. you know, I, I like when quarantine began is sort of fuzzy. Like I, I've, I got very used to it. There were elements of quarantine that I'll 
not so proudly admit um, we're very already similar to what my, my life looked like, you know, prior. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, Such I, as? Uh, I just, I, you know, I, well, on one level, I isolate um, pretty naturally, you know, like that's not something that I need to be forced to do uh, to, you know, to choose to, to sequester myself, um, you know, and then a certain type of work or study or, 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 or habit uh, wasn't, you know, there wasn't, it wasn't a drastic adjustment for me on a certain level. Um, I think that uh, what's really weird is that, you know, I, I feel like I've gone through quite an arc, you know, throughout this process, emotionally or personally or spiritually. And, and uh, I almost feel nostalgic already for certain moments that, that took place during quarantine. Like, you know, there, there were certain, there's certain events or certain nights that I remember or certain experiences when it was first getting started. And, and, um, there were certain times where I felt very kind of cocooned by the quarantine. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I also felt like there were times when sort of the radicality of the whole thing made me really reflect on, on, what was truly important to me. And, uh, mm -hmm. and I felt like I had some of the curtains drawn back, the veil lifted a little bit on some of my own, um, you know, some of the, the rat race that I feel I participate in on a normal basis that was kind of like, you know, the, the sun popped out from the clouds a couple of times, even though there was a lot of, you know, there still is a lot of fear and anxiety, but there, I just felt like I was more present. And now that the quarantine seems to be coming to its conclusion, a very intense and dramatic one, obviously, with everything that's taking place this past week, but it does feel like things are getting, you know, ready to shift into the next thing. Um, <laughs> I'm like a little afraid to go outside, you know, like to like be back and, you know, and I'm a little bit, my head is already geared up into like kind of the, the next level of like what do i need to do what do i need to do how do i get this figured out get this thing right get this thing and I, i'm i'm more projected into the future than i was say a month ago where i think i was much more present mm -hmm. with myself that, yeah that makes any sense yeah i think you know going in and coming out there's certain levels of anxiety it's sort of the anxiety of everything slowing down and going what am, what am I supposed to do? And then now it's the anxiety of everything ramping back up and trying to pick it back up with, with pace and fervor and, you know, yes. getting back into music and, you know, getting back to shows and earning money again and all of that good stuff. So well, I definitely hear you. Yeah. The, the, the financial element's definitely been, you know, an interesting thing as someone who makes the majority of their living on live performance, you know, having that revenue stream sort of disappear for an undetermined amount of time has definitely been anxiety inducing. Uh, mm -hmm. but I also think it's, you know, kind of made me dig into other, you know, like try to develop other skills that I wouldn't have developed otherwise. That mm -hmm. Um, that's interesting. So what, what have, and you know, I think there's, there's a lot of creative people who feel this sort of pressure to learn, create, you know, sort of come out at the end of this with a new skill or something like that. But that I don't, you know, I try to sort of remember that I think, you know, coming out and just surviving is enough, but it's wonderful to hear that you have, you know, developed some skills. Um, so may I ask what you have been learning? 
yeah, <laughs> all sorts of stuff, man. Uh, I uh, I would say that 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 was something that I felt at the beginning of quarantine was like a big trap to, that I would easily fall into. I remember like the first week of quarantine, everybody was posting things like how Shakespeare wrote King Lear while quarantined from the plague, and I, I remember thinking <laughs> that, like all these people are gonna think that they've got a, you know produce King Lear by the end of this thing, which to me was, you know, it was just a transference of the pressures that we already kind of put on ourselves. And, and to me, it struck me that the moment in time was asking for something different. You know, it was like a forced Sabbath on some level. And uh, I think the quarantine also has had a bit of an initiatory quality to it. Um, but I, I do know that there was that, that anxiety to, to, to maintain productivity mm -hmm. uh, of a certain kind, a very specific, you know, kind of one-dimensional form of productivity. Um, but I would say that, you know, skills that I've developed, like I am in school, which has been the biggest blessing that my music school, let's give a shout out to the collective school of music in uh, New York City. Your good friend, um, Bob? Yes. Bob Burke is a fantastic teacher and mentor of mine. I, I really have a tremendous relationship with all of the faculty there. And actually, I've gotten closer with a lot of the students since I've been in quarantine and we've been on Zoom classes together. I like didn't speak to people anywhere near as much when, when I was in person. That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm like, I'm isolation, you know, quarantine. Like, I comes very naturally to me, Steph. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm a pretty, uh, <laughs> very, pretty introverted guy. Um, but having class, you know, I don't know what this would have been like without that. I'm so grateful that the school kind of pulled this amazing emergency maneuver and, and uh, became, you know, ready to do everything online super fast. And, uh, yeah. you know, so everything from like what I'm, you know, sight singing and learning to read music and and then learning uh, Ableton and Logic and and those kinds of programs that stuff that like if I wasn't quarantined, like I can't think of like any other circumstance that I would boot camp myself to Ableton in five weeks if I weren't if I wasn't stuck inside my apartment. But um, I'm pumped about it. Well, I don't know what Ableton is, but I can certainly appreciate <laughs> learning new things. I, I mean, this 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 whole thing that we're doing now via this you know new app and the. the <laughs> sound effects and all sorts i've had to learn signal inputs and honestly i was pulling my hair out but you know we learn these new things and i there are there are benefits to it and i'm sure as you progress within your music career you'll kind of look back and think oh well i remember i learned this thing during quarantine so it's you know i, I appreciate it <laughs> i never look there's no point that i look back and say i learned that during quarantine not yet this is the first time that that's happened <laughs> Uh, okay, well, hang on. So we're, we're here to talk about art that serves. Right. Um, and I was so glad that you agreed, one, agreed to do the show, as you always do. So thank you very much. But also, you know, uh, we've been thinking more intentionally, I think, about um, these podcast episodes and what we are trying to bring to people. And it's not necessarily just kind of giving our music, but also kind of giving a bit of ourselves as well. So art that serves. Mr. Matt Butler, you are a man who certainly serves. You tour prisons. You have started your own nonprofit uh, organization, I should say. I'm not. Uh, we at home we call it a charity. You guys yeah. here have it. Have all sorts of names for it. Um, and more, more recently, you have uh, you came out with a uh, Mother's Day documentary film called Mother's Day Miracle. Yeah. 
Now, um, I watched it recently and it is such a beautiful film. It is 10 minutes long. We've, I've just posted it on our Facebook page if anyone wants to watch it after the podcast, obviously. Um, but it is incredibly moving. And you follow the story of one uh, woman, Jenny, um, who was previously incarcerated. And when she got out, and it's this sort of story of her first Mother's Day out of prison. And why don't you you talk about it? But but firstly, I'm so like, it's beautiful that in, within about four days, of you know, and the purpose of the film is to raise money, and which you did, and you raised eleven thousand um, dollars for renovations for a place of miracles cafe, which um, seeks to rehouse and rehome and you know uh, launch women back into society after their their term is finished. Yeah, yeah. I'll, um, should I jump in there? Or please do. Yeah. I, I had nothing. I mean. That floors me, and I am just so amazed by the work that you're doing. So please tell me about the film, and if you want to kind of start at the beginning of, you know, how and why you started this nonprofit. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, thank you very much for. I, I'm. I was almost. I like started to like almost think I was going to tear up while you were talking about it, um, and I really appreciate that it resonated with you. And thank you very much for your consistent. And constant support. Um, you know, I remember of being course. on stage with you and you elbowing me to like talk about the foundation. And I just, <laughs> I, I, I just do you remember that? And, you know, and I just, yep. I, I appreciate, uh, I appreciate that it means something to you, you know? So thank you very much. Um, Matt, let me tell you, it means something, and I'm sorry to interject, but it means something to a lot of people. It means something to many people whom, this nonprofit helps every single day. So please wow. know that it, it is very, very, very meaningful. I will cry. I will cry now, but I'll try not to. I'm going to get it together. Um, I, uh, the, the, well, the nonprofit officially came to be, like, it, you know, it was uh, created in the summer of 2018. I actually got the official tax, you know, the, the status, the 501c3 status from the IRS while I was, on the Vans warp tour, which was kind of a wild thing. I remember getting an mm -hmm. email while we were like evacuating the Jacksonville, uh, the Jacksonville fairgrounds. Cause they were either that or it was Atlanta, but it was like a venue that was flooding. Cause it, it just like rained like crazy. And I don't know, something about rain always kind of makes me feel like, you know, there's like some kind of omen that comes with it. But, uh, but I had started performing in prisons two years prior uh, in 2016. And, um, you know, initially I, I, it had all gotten started uh, because I wrote the song Just One, you know, which is where the name Just One Foundation comes from. I wrote the song Just One for a film called Generation Found and be forever grateful for that opportunity and to Greg and Jeff Riley, Greg Williams and Jeff Riley, who, who made that film uh, for all the work they did and for giving me the chance to write that song. And that, that, that film was about teenagers struggling with substance abuse disorder and, and um, recovery high schools. So it, it kind of like put me in a world of uh, advocacy and social justice and mental health. And, you know, I'd certainly <laughs> struggled with my own set of issues, but I'd, you know, throughout the, my past, but I'd never really been surrounded by people that were really like working in those fields in that, in that kind of capacity. 
So it was, it, it was a really, it was like a huge amount of like, just very eye-opening and it put me in a lot of people's spheres. And I had the opportunity to play for, for a lot of different folks. And eventually, you know, I, I was given the opportunity to perform a show at the Albany County Jail uh, in 2016. And, um, you know, the reality is that I, as I've written a lot of songs about some of my own personal struggles and about the struggles of people that I knew. Uh, and I played this show in the jail and I was, I was really scared to do it. You know, I felt really self-conscious. I felt very out of place. I felt like, like, what are these guys going to possibly think of me coming in there and playing songs? I thought I was going to get, you know, booed out of the, out of the place really fast. Uh, and it just didn't go anything like I thought it would. It was like, they were like, they were, they were such an incredible audience. And I suppose that that's my fault for presuming that they wouldn't be. Um, and that's, that's not necessarily fair, but, uh, but I was surprised at how, awesome it was and i would say that it it wasn't just that one show you know like I, the sheriff actually brought some news crews to that concert and um it, it got posted on facebook you know videos of me playing that concert and i was already sort of touring with generation found and so all these people that were sort of following the film and following that movement and following loosely what i was doing started to ask me while I was in their town or in their city, if I would also like, while I was there to play a college or play a film premiere, if I would also go in and play a County jail or if I'd play a prison. And I always said, yes. And they just were like, it was, it, it did not take long for me to completely a hundred percent prefer playing the, not, not that I didn't love playing all those gigs, but like I, I, the, those, I liked playing the jails, man, more than anything else, you know, way more than any, any of the gigs. And, and as an artist, you know, part of what to sort of center on our, the topic here, this idea of art that serves, you know, as an artist, I think, you know, there's this primary desire to feel seen, you know, like the, my sense of what I try to do is that I have an internal experience, an internal landscape that I try to manifest somehow externally so that I can feel more connected to other people, you know, and let them know, like, this mm -hmm. is what I'm experiencing. And, uh, you know, and then when there's some sort of, there's a, there's a reciprocation, I just don't feel isolated. I don't feel alone in the world. And that, that does tend to be my default setting, you know, as a, as a person, my whole life, I, you know, I've tended to feel kind of outside and, and cut off. Um, I've never felt that sense of purposefulness in anything I've ever done in my entire life. I don't think as I did when I was playing those shows, um, you know, for those, those folks that were incarcerated and the way that they connected with the, the, the subject matter and the way they connected with my story and the way they connected with, I think that, that the fact that they just like appreciated that they, they, you know, that I, that I was showing up there. Uh, it's not like mm -hmm. they were getting a concert every day, you know? So I, on one level, it didn't matter what I was singing about or how good I was or anything like that, you know, like they, they weren't getting this, a lot of entertainment, but, uh, but I just never felt that good about being an artist. You know, I've, str I've struggled to connect yep. at all times of my life. And that was this one time where it just, mm -hmm. things blew open completely. And, and not only did that happen, but it, but it organically expanded very fast. And, you know, for the longest time, 
This has changed more recently, thanks to my good friend, Tommy Demenkoff at the New York DOC, but I never had a Department of Corrections credentialing. I never had a single volunteer training. I never had a, a, any kind of you know, seminars or orientation of any type. I, I, it was just pure word of mouth thing that they were like, you know, this guy's playing these shows. And uh, I would play one jail and that, that sheriff would tell another sheriff or that social worker would tell a social worker or a counselor would tell another one. They're all types of people working within that space. And it just, you know, before I knew mm -hmm. it, I, it was like, it's kind of all over the country. And uh, yeah, and you did a, yeah, like a whole tour. You've done two. How many tours have you done? I've done a couple. So, I mean, the first thing that happened was 2017, a good friend of mine named Sarah Thompson is in Ohio, um, who I'd done some work with prior. She runs an organization in Ohio called OCAR, the Ohio Citizen Advocates for Addiction Recovery. And we'd done a few events and through a connection of hers, you know, a nonprofit in Ohio that had been running, they're closed now actually because of the quarantine, but these therapeutic communities and state prisons. And they wanted to know if I play a show in one and, and, uh, the conversation kind of changed into like, will you just do like a, will you visit all of them? And then, so in the summer of 2017, I did this short tour of like a, a week long tour where I did seven state prisons in Ohio, like every day. And so it was like, it was just this mm -hmm. totally like life changing experience, you know, as far as everything yeah. about it. Um, but yeah, that go ahead. Sorry. I'll ramble forever about I was this just if you don't cut me off. Yeah, so That's all right. I, I'm enjoying listening to you. Um, okay, so I've done a couple of, I, I do hospital shows every now and again, and I mostly do them at children's hospitals and That's it is amazing. so interesting to play for kids. Thank you. I mean, it's, it, it, it is one of the most humbling experiences I've ever had. Um, And, you know, because kids don't care who you are. Some of them don't even want to hear you. They're like, no, I don't want it tonight, you know. And, and so it's just, all right, fine. And you move on. To, and, you know, you, you, it's, it's so interesting in terms of, like, whether they want to hear you or not and, like, how you, you feel seeing them and their reaction. And sometimes they're really not bothered and sometimes they're over the moon. And you could go in and practice this whole, you know, you've got to do covers in these, in these uh, hospitals, so it's songs that they know. Um, and it's so interesting to see them just jump up and down at something like the bare necessities. And it's, it's adorable, but it, it's one of those where, you know, you'll go onto a cancer ward and you'll play for these children that are, you know, terminally ill and coming out of that, it's, there is just so, there are a lot of emotions when you're kind of doing something like that. And I come away from it still very mixed. I feel great that I've been able to bring joy to some people, but I also, you know, come away with, you know, some of my own feelings of sadness. And um, I'm gen like generally at the end, I'm, it's, it's, a, I'm probably a mix of um, energized and also exhausted. And I wonder what that, that's what you go through as you are performing and as you are connecting and then come the end of that, that day or the show, what, like, what do, what do you feel? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, that's a very, that it's taken me a lot of time to even get perspective on how I've felt about certain things. Um, but I certainly know what you mean, you know, and I, and I, I think that that's an incredible service to do that. Um, my experience with, you know, the physicality of it, I, I've put myself in, I've been through at times some pretty brutal, 
touring schedules where, you know, if I'm working with certain organizations and they're, you know, I, I used to do some these tours in Michigan where I, I've done four shows a day for five or six days in a row. And like real shows, you got to drive in between them. And it would be pretty standard for me to play three shows in a day. And there was even times where I play six or seven um, because I'd play a county jail where they wouldn't be able to put the population, populations had to stay separated. So a county jail might have five or six pods. So it's a different unit, you know, a different housing unit for everybody that's there. And, you know, and I would feel like I would want to visit all of them. And, and uh, inevitably the shows would, you know, like they, we'd talk and I'd play five or six songs in conversation and it would go 45 minutes to an hour. And I'd do that seven in a row because there'd be seven pods, you know, so I'd be eight hours or seven hours in a, you know, in one of these county jails. And uh, it took a lot, and you know, without any kind of amplification or anything to some, it definitely was, was a little bit straining on the old vocal cords, but emotionally it's incredibly draining depending on, I mean, it always is, but there's also uh, you know, certain attitudes that can contribute to some more resilience than others. I, I when I first began uh, playing those shows, you know, it's interesting. The thing about service, as I understand it, you know, service is meant to reduce one's sense of self-importance, you know, to reduce one's sense of egocentricity. You know, if it isn't, then it, if it's not doing that, then it's something that needs to sort of be re, re-examined as far as it being an act of service. That's why primarily, you know, genuine, true service on a lot of levels, you know, is or like the truest form of service mm-hmm. is usually anonymous service because there's no way right. of receiving anything in return for it. You know, you don't get something necessarily back except for the, the, the intrinsic altruistic reward for doing something for other people. And we're talking about some pretty like high level uh, spiritual mastery at that point when you really do something without expectation for someone in return. But what I would say is that in my beginning experiences playing in jails and in prisons, the reactions were very positive, like I described. And there, there are some videos on YouTube of people really, you know, cheering and having the experience of playing a state prison and having a hundred guys, you know, that are potentially, you know, kind of tough guys get up and give you a standing ovation. People crying in those shows, showing that kind of level of vulnerability and emotion. It's, it's such a, I can't describe how powerful that was for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it had its effect, you know, on my ego as well, and as, as far as the way that it tweaked my sense of self-importance, you know, and 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 personal grandiosity and egocentricity. And I think that that's one of the amazingly geniusly insidious ways that the ego works. It's like it'll put on whatever clothes it needs to put on in order to get back on stage, you know. So, on one level, you can be, you know, humble, or you can be. I'm the most humble guy in the room, you know, and, and, uh, it, and it's like, you know, your ego, rather than seeking to be, I'm the smartest guy in the room. Now I'm the most giving and loving. And, and so I, I started to believe, I think that I had more power to be and do things than I did. And so when you put things on your shoulders that way too, the, the level of like exhaustion, emotional exhaustion, spiritual sickness, mental illness, you know, all those things that can arise from that. You know, I, I had to learn experientially 
you know, how to like sort of observe my ego kind of growing, growing back, you know, as a result of doing service at, at a certain mm -hmm. point. Uh, so does that not conflict with the fact or, you know, the necessity to, um, market or advertise your nonprofit in order to help it grow and help others with it? Oh yeah. I mean, welcome to my brain every day. I think of, you know, these, this, this is, it's a huge level of, of conflict because I'm aware that, you know, on some level, the larger my, my own platform is as an artist or, or as a person on social media, you know, then the more reach I have potentially, you know, to affect a change. Um, but yes, like, what does that mean for me as, as, as the, you know, person attending to do the service and my own, my own spiritual seeking, my own sense of like, how do I grow in, in, uh, selflessness? How do I continue to reduce my own sense of self-importance, you know, while promoting myself? So I, I'm massively conflicted about it all the time. And you, when you had said that, you know, you were, you were, you kind of enjoyed that I wasn't in the film Mother's Day Miracle. I, I was, I was very happy to not be in that film, you know, it, for that, for that reason. Um, so that's something, that's a, that's a line that I, that I walk. Cause you know, I don't, you know, maybe I, Maybe I should just get a go get a job, you know, like uh, at the at the Department of Corrections, you know, and just like you know, do do an arts program, you know, for volunteer services like that. That those there are people that do that, and they do amazing work, and they're incredible people, and they don't necessarily post photos of themselves doing it on Instagram the way I do. So so like I I question my own motives brutally all the time to the, to an extent that it's probably very counterproductive and, and, you know, and draining energetically on a lot of levels. But, uh, but that's something that, I mean, yes, the answer to your question is yes, to say the least. Well, no, I love that about you. I think you're a very thoughtful and intentional, I can say, man but artist i think is probably the better term because you know you are and that's really where your art comes from and there's a lot of thought behind it and i think when i listen to your music and it's such quite honestly it is such a joy and a privilege to be able to sit next to you on stage and watch you perform it and because not only am i getting to see you perform i'm getting to see the like the audience react to that and there is something kind of actually so special about the seat that i have next to you as i'm watching it um and i can see the way that people connect to you, your story, your lyrics. Um, it's, it's really a joy to watch. So, you know, thank you again for that. Well, thank now, you. Um, we're going to, you're going to play uh, your song, Just One. Yeah. Um, and I will get to watch it virtually and see people also watch it virtually. So it'll be, I, I sort of have my seat, but virtually, as it were. Well... <laughs> I'll also just say that I love those shows that we play together as well. And that was such a sort of like fortuitous thing, you know, because we didn't really know each other the first time we, we played. And then I don't, I don't know if we thought it was going to become like a series and then, <laughs> you know, what it's a real, a real friendship. So I, I think it's been a real gift, you know, for me to have that stage next to you as well and to watch people experience your music and, and uh, I, you know, Life is life is always 
full of surprises in that way. And it's very, very wonderful. Um, Thank you. So, yeah. It, oh, definitely. I, uh, so this song is like one of those things where I, you know, I don't, I don't tend to believe that the songs are, you know, my own. I kind of feel like they're songs that, you know, I feel like I don't write them so much as I like try to create conditions where I can like let them kind of come, come through me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then they very much like have their own, their own lives and identities. And this is a song that I feel very grateful for because the lyrics have given me something to try to live up to. It's, you know, the, the, the lyric sets a high bar and, uh, it's good to bring that into a show sometimes because it reminds me of what it is that I'm doing there. And, um, and this song, like literally this song has taken me all over the country, you know? And, and so I, I, I just grateful that it's, it's given me, uh, those legs. So here we go. I think I asked too many questions I know I'll never understand How to help all those around me I am just one man There's so many who feel helpless that there's just too much to be done But I know it makes all the difference That revolution has begun If I can help just one And he can help just one can help just one we can help just one well, I'll put my heart into my labor and I'll burn my back under the sun and I'll share the harvest with all my neighbors I work until my hands are numb If I can help just one If I can help just one She can help just one If we can help just one
reflection Always hoping I'd get I'd get something back So now I'll offer this reflection All the mourners dressed in black Lord knows it's so hard to pray Mercy only comes to some We seek forgiveness when we rise each day Because our work is never done We can help just one Just one. If we can help just one, if we can help just one. Oh, it's lovely. <laughs> Thank you love very much. Um, it's such a lovely idea, just to, like helping just one person and like what that means. Yeah, well, to me, you know, in a situation when I think about like the film, you know, Mother's Day Miracle and, you know, a woman like Jenny and and what it means for her to be able to show up for her children and, you know, and, and have a holiday with her children and what that means to her kids, you know, and then what that will mean to everybody that like her kids then, you know, touch in their lives and, and just sort of the, you know, that, that it's certainly not an original concept that, that pay it forward kind of extrapolation of, of mm -hmm. one kind gesture, you know, and what that can really do and what that can unfold as throughout the course of a person's lifetime. There was something um, that Jenny said, and it was something that her daughter had said to her when they were going to a place for Miracles Cafe. And her daughter asked what a miracle was. I don't want to spoil this for everyone, the whole film, but there was just this lovely, sweet little thing. And her daughter said, a miracle? We need to get one of those. Yeah. So it, that's such a, that was such a moment, man. When I know that when our filmmaker, Sam, you know, when, when Jenny said that and they got that on camera, that I know that they all kind of looked at each other like, yes. That's the, you know, that's such a key piece of what the, the story is. And uh, it was so poignant, man. So I met, I met Jenny a year earlier because she was incarcerated at the Chesterfield County Jail in Virginia. And I went and I played a show and, and um, she had, you know, she had an experience with the show. And when she got released, she sent me a Facebook message and was like, you know, when you, if you're ever back in Chesterfield, I want to buy you pizza. <laughs> and, and, uh, I don't know if any, anybody that's watching understands how big of a pizza guy I am, but if there's, if there's one way to, one way to, one way to get me to come back to Virginia, although, you know, here I am living in New York, pizza capital of the world. But, but, uh, you know, we ended up just kind of creating this informal correspondence and I learned more about her and her story. And we thought it was so inspiring. And, I'd spent all this time on the road with 
so many different people and places I never thought I'd go and, and experiencing things I never thought I'd experience and really kind of like, and like, and touring in a very DIY way where you, you know, I spent a lot of time just kind of being adopted by people, you know, as I, as I was in their town or their city and really making these little families everywhere. And I wanted to figure out ways of telling the stories, you know, beyond just writing songs. Mm -hmm. And, um, it just kind of lined up, you know, and, and the filmmaker, Sam, is one of my best friends. We went, to, we were in film school, not film school. We, we were in film class together in high school. We went to high school together. And so it's like this amazing way for us to reconnect and kind of do what some of the stuff we were doing, although <laughs> very different kind of films now than then. But, but uh, it was um, really pretty magical, you know, the mm -hmm. whole thing. So post quarantine, what are your plans for the Just One Foundation and your plans as an artist as well? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. You know, I mean, the foundation is. So the fundraiser was successful and that was really about a week and a half ago or two weeks ago at this point. And um, that was a lot of work. So we don't have an immediate, you know, new project that we're going to work on, but the the documentary was sort of a not a pilot, but sort of a prototype in a way. We'd done a smaller short documentary that was about five minutes long at the Albany County Jail, but it didn't have a call to action attached to it. So this was kind of our our a test in a way of of something like this. And the response was so positive that, you know, I think that we're gonna wanna continue to make content. Cause I would consider that documentary to be, you know art that serves, you mm -hmm. know, art that's created specifically with this idea of like, how do we serve a larger community? How do we serve a larger body of people, you know, in a way that's genuinely substantial and hopefully transformative on some level. Um, I think that we'll do something like that again, and hopefully, you know, on some level with a little bit more of a notch up, up of in, in sophistication and and uh, scope, you know, as, as things hopefully evolve. And then personally, me, I'm going to continue to, I'm going to go to summer school. Mm -hmm. hey, Jody, Jody. Yeah, I thought I, that was a nice comment that Jody posted. Yeah, Jody is an amazing, Jody is, a, is like an example of someone that like, I, I will have made it, I made an incredible bond with within like the course of, you know, two days or three days, you know, being, she's, she does a lot of amazing work in, in Ohio and she's like an, one of these people that I feel like I've been sort of adopted by. Mm -hmm. And if you're listening on the podcast, uh, Jody says, this song will forever be my motivation on bad days and my source of humility on good. Well, can't ask for much more than that. I'll tell you. Humbling, humbling. Yeah. All right. Well, Mr. Matt Butler, uh, let's end on a positive note. Tell me one thing you are looking forward to. Uh, maybe the first thing that you're looking forward to doing once this whole lockdown is over. I want to see my mom. <laughs> I haven't seen my mom in a while. I know she misses uh, misses me and my brother, and mm -hmm. and um, I think I I think I want to you know take my mom out to to get some lunch, get some tea or something. You know, I think that's, that's adorable. It's <laughs> <laughs> true. Oh, Matthew, one day you're gonna make some lady very happy. <laughs> my mom, you know. <laughs> yes, it will be your mother. Um, Matt, it's always such a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your art and 
the service that you're providing with it. It really is such a wonderful story. And I'm so glad that you have shared it with us tonight. So thank you once again. Thank you for having me, Steph. All right. Well, we will see you very soon. Um, now, where am I now? Ah, hello. Yes. So my good friend, Matt, Mr. Matt Butler there. Um, I love him. He's so lovely. Um, next week on the podcast, Sonia Lee joins me from Nashville. She's an incredible singer-songwriter that I've been keeping tabs on for a couple of years in a totally non-stalker way, honestly. Um, and I know that you're going to love her. So she'll be giving us the lowdown on how Music City and Nash the Nashville community um, has been creating during this time. So that is next Wednesday at 8 p.m. on our Facebook page. Uh, so, oh, and also please make sure that you follow our page and join our inner circle. The details are below. Um, and you can find out all about our next guest and our upcoming show in two weeks' time featuring our POC friends in our music community. Um, stay safe out there. I am Stephanie Manns, and we will see you next time. The New York Artist Collective Podcast. This next one's about.